Well, let's take a look together at Acts chapter 18. In the Bibles in front of you, if you don't have your own, you can open up to page 1098, 1098, and follow along, or again, grab your own Bible. I'll have the words up here on PowerPoint eventually as well, but I uh, still think it's good to look at it for yourself. So this is Acts 18, 1 through 11. I'll read this first, and then we'll, we'll dig into it together. After this, Paul left Athens and went to Corinth. There he met a Jew named Aquila, a native of Pontus, who had recently come from Italy with his wife Priscilla because Claudius had ordered all the Jews to leave Rome. Paul went to see them, and because he was a tent maker as they were, he stayed and worked with them. Every Sabbath he reasoned in the synagogue trying to persuade Jews and Greeks. When Silas and Timothy came from Macedonia, Paul devoted himself exclusively to preaching, testifying to the Jews that Jesus was the Christ. But when the Jews opposed Paul and became abusive, he shook out his clothes in protest and said to them, Your blood be on your own heads. I am clear of my responsibility. From now on, I will go to the Gentiles. Then Paul left the synagogue and went next door to the house of Titius Justus, a worshiper of God. Crispus, the synagogue ruler, and his entire household believed in the Lord. And many of the Corinthians who heard him believed and were baptized. One night the Lord spoke to Paul in a vision, Do not be afraid. Keep on speaking. Do not be silent. For I am with you. And no one is going to attack and harm you. Because I have many people in this city. So Paul stayed for a year and a half teaching them the word of God. And this is the word of God. I pray that God adds his blessing to its reading. And now as we dig in together, I don't know if it's true for you, but sometimes life feels like a bit of a grind. You're just kind of grinding things out. <clears throat> and you can grow weary. Just get tired. And we need strength to carry on from time to time. And here in this text, We'll see just how God is granting that to Paul, who had a dramatic conversion earlier in Acts chapter 9. He was a hater of anybody who was following the way, the way of Christ. So there were haters back in the day, even back then too, and Paul was one of them. He hated people who believed that Jesus was the Messiah. And, in fact, as you probably know, one of his stated missions was to bring this whole movement to an end. In Acts chapter 9, as he's headed to Damascus to begin that process, he encounters the risen Christ. He's knocked off his horse. He's blinded. And now he can truly see because Christ has shown him that you've been persecuting the one who really is the Messiah. And he's going to do something unique in Paul, who is a gifted individual in many respects, um, pretty blunt, pretty straightforward, well-schooled in these things. And he's going to say, I'm going to make you an instrument now, not of, not of hate, but of love. And to show what it means to others, even if you're being persecuted, how to love them, how to show them what true freedom means. And this is what Paul is passionate about, conveying the gospel, the good news of Christ, that he really is who he says he is, that he was risen from the dead to anybody in any place that God would send him. And he's just preached that message in Athens, and now he moves on to Corinth. 
So just to give you a little sense of what that might look like, it's kind of a smaller uh, in, in picture here too. Athens to the right there of what we're looking at is where he was. And he skips on over to Corinth. And Corinth is uniquely postured, as you can see, connecting uh, a strip of land on the, on the one hand and on the other, and then two bodies of water as well. So it was a well-postured city to be kind of industrial powerhouse and a popular trade route. It was a commercial center of the day. And uh, the city had been destroyed, but then beautifully rebuilt by Julius Caesar in 46 BC. And it basked in its pride. And it was a center of worship, of uh, idolatrous worship. In particular, the, the goddess of the city was Aphrodite or Venus, the goddess of love. And the way they expressed that love was in a rather physical way at the temple as well. So this was a very sensuous city. Uh, built into its way of thinking was, um, was this kind of sense of immorality. And in fact, the very verb used in the Greek, it's in Greece, to describe somebody who was immoral was Corinthazo. If you were a Corinthian, the, 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 the very definition of it was you were somebody who was just loved immorality. I mean, the, the things that defined who you were were the things that were very of the world, you might say. Kim Kardashian? Anybody ever heard of that person? Or maybe Miley Cyrus or Robin Thicke or Jerry Springer for the older crew in here as well. You might have a certain image in terms of the character of the individual that comes to mind if I say that. And back in that day, that would be Corinthiazzo, you know? If you're a Corinthian, then you're, this is who you are. And that's the environment that Paul is entering. He was already discouraged when he looked around in Athens. It says, if you look back in Acts 17, his heart was just discouraged as he looked around and he saw these false idols. And he, claims, he proclaims the message in Athens. He says, you know what? I've been looking at these idols. And it breaks his heart because he knows they're wanting to worship something. Our hearts are all pulled to worship something. And these things are just cheap substitutes that in the moment give you satisfaction but will never actually satisfy. And he says, I'm going to proclaim to you the one true God that doesn't get crafted or live inside temples built by man because he's created everything. And he knows your heart. He understands how you're designed. And he is the only true object of worship that will give you absolute satisfaction. And you guys are kind of right on track. You're creating things because you know you want to worship something. But this is not the one true God. And I'm going to tell you who he is. And he declares that message. And then he heads on over from Athens to Corinth. And he goes into a city that is known for its immorality. That is just baked and seeped in a culture that says what is wrong is right. And what is right is wrong. Do any of you feel like there's kind of a similar experience going on? Maybe for you. That's the city that he enters. That's the environment for Paul. And he's there without his friends. Timothy and Silas. They've still not arrived from Berea. And apparently, based on this text, Paul's tired. I, I don't know. It seems like 
you look at movie stars or athletes and they seem almost not human as if they don't have my mom and a dad and kids and actual feelings you sort of tend to put people into a, a place where they're above everything but they're they're people and Paul is he's kind of weary and he's he's kind of struggling it seems when he enters into this city and now he's got the whole tide of a culture that is swelling and just like a tidal wave coming against him and he's trying to proclaim a message that's completely different and that can be pretty exhausting in fact he's just left places where he's been verbally assaulted he's been sought out to be beaten right if anybody if you've been in a situation you know you're on this you're on the playground and some kid says I'm gonna get you you know what that's like and this is Paul the whole city's uprising against him in previous instances he's been charged with crimes and I say all that to, to make you aware of when he enters Corinth what his mentality was probably like and you know what you get a little tired sometimes even when you're doing something good whatever it may be it could be you know school <laughs> I think at the end of the year especially this is a good message because you've got finals maybe and you've got Christmas coming up which just feels like more money you got to spend and it's like ugh, I need strength to carry on and that's where Paul is here and I don't think this is an un unrealistic way of, of looking at this text because when he first came to them he said to the Corinthians and we've been reading through the Bible now we're mostly in first Corinthians we're up through chapter 11 as of today he says when I came to you I came to you in weakness and in fear and with much trembling so he's not coming in riding on his horse saying hey we got this I got the good news I'm gonna proclaim he's like I'm weak <laughs> I'm struggling with fear what's he what's he afraid of what's he fearful about and and it could be just the 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 the, the reality that he's facing that it's not in my own strength I'm, I'm proclaiming Christ and him crucified not because of my greatness but these are real emotions he's feeling with much trembling it's a very confident guy who's been broken apparently and that's how he enters into this city and he comes in alone his friends aren't there so how does God give this guy and I would suggest us as well strength to carry on let's take a look at a couple of things that he does in this text the first thing that we see is he gives us strength to carry on through fellow sojourners in verses 1 through 6 this is just the first three verses but it carries on in the next few as we'll see after this Paul left Athens and went to Corinth we already saw that and there he met a Jew named Aquila so here he is he comes in and he meets somebody this native of Pontus who had recently come from Italy with his wife Priscilla and the reason they were there is because Claudius had ordered all the Jews to leave Rome and Paul went to see them and because he was a tent maker as they were he stayed and he worked with them so you know the context the background for this as well Priscilla and Aquila were forced out from Italy by Claudius relocated here in Corinth and you already have what I would call a theology of place I don't have that up there but just a theology of place what I mean by that is where you are is where God wants you to be that's a pretty easy statement to make and a hard one to swallow if you got a pill that's too big and bitter but where you are is where God wants you to be this is something Paul himself probably had to remember he just said this in Acts 17 look God this God that I told you about who's the object of your true worship 
He has determined exactly where you're supposed to live. The exact time in the exact place. He's speaking to all these people. And of course, as you know, when you're preaching, it's mostly just saying to others what you're saying to yourself. So Paul himself is probably having to remember as he's relocated here to Corinth and overwhelmed and weary and tired, this is where God wants me to be right now. He's not there. It's not here. It's right here. It is here. That's a theology of place, right? So you can say, I don't like where I am, but this is where God has me right now. I can bloom where I'm planted. I can look around and see I don't get it, but I know that there's something about why I'm here. That is why a biblical faith can be unique to others who maybe don't even have it. And we're right where we are so that we can seek God, find him, so we can serve him and point others to him. And it's not just him, it's these others as well who are relocated to this place. And they had to answer the question, what are we going to do now? You know, how is God going to use us here? And it shouldn't be a surprise. You know, Paul talks elsewhere about followers of Christ thinking of themselves first and foremost, not as citizens of Corinth or citizens of Athens, but as citizens of the kingdom of God. We're sojourners. I mean, any place we are, even if we have deep roots, is just temporary because the deeper roots are in the kingdom of God. And in fact, when you get used to being in one place, it could be that you're not thinking about the fact you're a sojourner. It's easy to get comfortable when everything is lining up according to your plans. And here's Paul getting shaken up. These two people as well, Aquila and Priscilla, relocated, having the mindset that, well, we're just traveling through, but the strong sense that God has something for us wherever I am. So Paul's in Corinth. Perhaps your friends are in the synagogue. He meets this husband and wife, and they connect on several levels. And isn't it gracious? How do we, we get strength to carry on through fellow sojourners? There are some awesome ways that God meets Paul in his weakness. I mean, the first connection they have is a common heritage. We see that they're ethnically Jews. There he met a Jew. They had a similar common experience even in terms of their ethnicity and probably because of that their their traditions and their understandings now if you've never lived overseas you probably can't appreciate or i mean overseas from wherever your home is like in a different culture it's hard to appreciate how wonderful it is to run into somebody who is from your culture I mean, it's just remarkably refreshing. I don't care where you are in the world, even if you're traveling uh, somewhere just temporarily and you hear your language being spoken, you rush to that person, regardless of whether or not in your own home culture you would be close to that individual. That's irrelevant. Because all you want right now is some sort of connection that happens there. Because they get it. And when I lived overseas, especially in Hungary, and I taught in a Hungarian school, and I went to a Hungarian church, and I was tired of Hungary a lot of times. I just wanted to be with Americans. And we'd get together. It is so refreshing to get together with somebody who understands the old 80s TV show references <laughs> and movies and quotes the same things and knows the same music. It's just refreshing. And I think that is a gracious gift to Paul, who's entering this city and overwhelmed and tired, here's a fellow Jew he comes in contact with who, who kind of gets it, who understands. 
has a common back background, likes the same kind of food, watches the same, well, not movies at this time, but you know. But he also gives him a common experience. What I mean by that is he had recently moved from Italy. Priscilla and Aquila were displaced. They could relate with relocating, being on the move, starting new relationships. If you're somebody who grew up with a military background, you know what this is like. You're there somewhere for just a few years and then you move on and you're constantly on the move. And if you get into a community with people who don't understand that, there's, you know, there's parts of that experience that just you can't connect with. But these people know it. They've just been dislocated. I mean, relocated. And now Paul is giving him somebody who can understand that. Not only that, a common trade. He, they were tent makers. He stayed with them. Because he was a tent maker, as they were, he had another trade that he worked, and he's given him someone with the same skills. I mean, Paul got skills. And he's using them, not just speaking, but also working with his hands. You know what that's like if you're in the IT world. It's nice to talk to somebody who understands IT stuff. In management, in plumbing. It doesn't matter what it is, teaching. It's kind of nice to be with people who understand what that's like. Isn't this great? I just think that's amazing as I come to Acts 18. This guy who's weary and struggling, and God says, here, I'm giving you some strength to carry on through fellow sojourners, people who understand it, and there's a common faith. In addition to that, in Romans 16, 3, Paul would say, greet Priscilla and Aquila, my fellow workers in Christ Jesus. And you read all of Paul's letters, you see this common central binding point for him ultimately speaking regardless of your heritage your experience or your trade if you have a common faith you're one in christ there is a connection point that is the beauty of it that's part of our our vision baked in too you know we're one in christ regardless jew gentile blue collar white collar i don't care what it is you're one in Christ. So this is the common faith. Now, these are all gifts for him in addition to it, but the one that really matters is they're common workers in the labor of living life for Christ. And so we can, we can bond on that. These are my brothers and my sisters, my fellow workers, the ones who understand what it means to be saved by faith through the grace of God, not because of anything that we've done, and the former way of life is gone. And now we're all looking forward to that great kingdom of God together, linking arms regardless of what we might be. I mean, this is a great gift from God. He's given him fellow sojourners. And the deepest category, follower of Christ. Now, it, it goes on. I mentioned that was only the first few verses because in the next four, five, and six, we see a bit more. Every Sabbath he reasoned in the synagogue, trying to persuade Jews and Greeks. And this was Paul's way. He'd go to a, a synagogue and, and begin using logic and reason to prove that Christ is the Messiah. When Silas and Timothy came from Macedonia, Paul devoted himself exclusively to preaching, testifying to the Jews that Jesus was the Messiah. But when they opposed Paul, became abusive, he shook out his clothes in protest and said to them, you blood, your blood be on your own heads. I'm innocent of it. From now on, I'll go to the Gentiles. So while he is in this place, and, and while his friends haven't yet come, his fellow workers, he only has the ability to 
on the Sabbath, reason with the Jews, and the Greeks. He's kind of limited. Then he's finally reunited with Silas and with Timothy. And you might remember, Timothy was like a son to him, my true son in the faith. There was a, a long-standing relationship where Paul had invested in this guy, Timothy, like a son. So when Timothy shows up, it's like the father-son reunion. That's kind of nice to have. It's good to make new friends and to be exposed to people who are common in the faith, but it's really nice to be with old friends who you don't have to explain the backdrop, the backstory, you know, and get caught up. And you've got some history. The ups and the downs. The valleys and the mountains. I mean, everything that's in between. That's kind of nice. I mean, it comes with some complexities as well, obviously. But this is a, this is a sweet reunion. These are close friends that come together. And... And so this is a gift from God. Now he can do what his heart really desires, devote himself exclusively to preaching and testifying to his fellow ethnic Jews that Jesus is the Christ. So here's another gift. Through fellow so sojourners, they free Paul up to do what he loves. They arrive. He has a, a great connection with them. And now he can do what he's supposed to be doing. You know, that's why I was saying, sometimes life's a grind. You just have to do even what you don't want to do. And it's kind of nice when you have to do what you don't want to do to have a situation change so that now you can do what you want to do. I mean, I like that. And he's, so these friends come and it's not just a connection, but it's, it changes the environment for him, the circumstances. Now he can do what he wants to do, what he's been called to do. And we know from other passages, it's not in this, this one, but they bring a good report. They've just come from another place. And you can read about this in 1 Thessalonians 3 and Philippians 4 and 2 Corinthians 11. Silas and Timothy come with some blessings. They have a good report that the Thessalonian believers are doing well. The people that he had spent time with in Thessalonica, that he'd come alongside and then left, these guys come back with a report saying, thumbs up, they're doing good, they're keeping the faith. His investment wasn't for naught. That's quite a contrast to what's happening here in the synagogue, right? No return on that investment. Furthermore, they bring a generous financial gift. That's in Philippians 4.14 and again in 2 Corinthians 11. And that enables Paul to leave behind his tent making and focus on vocational ministry. So this is great. You know, when you have fellow sojourners walking along with you who encourage you on all these levels, sometimes in a very tangible one, Here's a financial gift. Here's some food. You know, I have some resources. I see you need them. Here you go. Sign me up. That's encouraging. I don't care who you are or how much you have. Somebody brings a meal over, that's, that's good. That's fun. Somebody gives you a gift card, hey, party on. These are just ways, it seems, that when you need strength to carry on, God, the good shepherd, gives them to us. At least he's given them to Paul in this passage. And he can be free to do what he wants. Now, a couple other things to observe, and these are quicker. So not only through fellow sojourners, but also unexpected encouragement in verses 7 through 8. Read what happens next. Paul leaves the synagogue, and he goes next door to the house of this guy, who's a worshiper of God, and the synagogue leader, Crispus, and his entire household believed in the Lord. And many of the Corinthians 
who heard Paul, believed, and were baptized as well. This is, I would say, unexpected encouragement because Paul just shook his clothes off. He said, forget about you. I'm going to go just to the Gentiles. I'm done preaching to the Jews. I'm going to go off to the Gentiles. And then he goes next door, and the synagogue ruler becomes a follower of Christ. Don't you find that strange? And somewhat unexpected. <laughs> He's like, I've been pouring my life into this ministry, these people, whoever those people might be even in your life, with no return on the investment whatsoever, forget about it. I'm going to go over here. Now, this, is, this is, seems to be the way, and it's not a formula, but you might observe in, in your own life that this can be how God works. I am finished. I'm done. Forget about it. And then God gives you the thing you just gave up. I don't know if you've ever noticed that before. I mean, this is like Keith Green stuff, right? And this guy was, you know, back in the 70s or whatever. He's got a classic 70s voice, but he was a gifted musician, played the piano really well, realized his piano playing had become his idol. And at one point, just gives it up. Says, I can't do this anymore. The thing that he was best at in life that he used for others to be engaged in worship, he realized was what he was worshiping instead. And he came to the point where he said, I give it all up. And it wasn't until he did that that God gave it back in a new sort of way and unleashed the capacity for him to minister in ways he never had before. It seems like something similar is going here. I'm giving this up. And then God gives it to him. I don't know, unexpected blessing, it seems. Right next door. Some of you know Michael Lorenzen. I don't know if anybody, does anybody know Michael Lorenzen? None of you are all Cincinnati Reds fans? Wow. Okay, so I can tell any story I want to about this guy. <laughs> but he, he, he's a, a, a Reds pitcher, and he's also very good at hitting as well. Had some unique stats this past season. But he was, uh, he had a rough upbringing, and um, was living a, a pretty uh, raucous lifestyle, leaving a, a, a bar with some buddies as a teenager, and somebody was preaching the gospel, the good news, on the street, you know. And they went over specifically to make fun of this guy and to give him a hard time. And this guy was just trying to share the love of God. You know, I mean, whether you think that's an effective style or not, this is the way it happened. He was, he was engaging specifically with his friends, saying, you guys are looking for satisfaction you're not finding it in the right place I'll tell you where you can find it and they were just pelting him with insults and everything and Michael Lorenzen actually went home and started thinking about what he said and went back and asked him to tell him more and became a follower of Christ as a result and now you know he's got some influence on the Cincinnati Reds and uh, has had a great season as well but it just seems kind of a little bit like this, like an unexpected blessing as well when you least expect it and you feel like it's fruitless and nothing is working and I'm just tired of doing this and God gives him this unexpected encouragement. A period of relatively little response, it seems, in Paul's life and now the floodgates pour open because he was faithful. And as we approach the end of the year, I think it's a good time to reflect back on this year and say, where have I seen those unexpected blessings, places I wasn't really looking for them? I think in the life of our church, too, for example, the ESL program, which has been faithfully pursued for seven years, 
and it's just kind of been great and affected some has just exploded now and as you've heard those stories not only in terms of numbers but curiosity about what does this mean to be a follower of Christ as we went through the, the gospel of Mark over the summer and the ladies who were there seven or eight kept asking question after question after question you know they came to our house at 9 15 they left at 2 when we kicked them out and they were just asking questions about God's word wow unexpected encouragement especially when you feel like I don't have any strength to carry on and then we see through renewed vision as well in verse 9 that God gives us strength to carry on through renewed vision one night the Lord spoke to Paul well it's pretty obvious this is an actual vision in a vision do not be afraid keep on speaking do not be silent and what we learn from this vision is that the person who knows his heart best the Lord one night the Lord spoke to Paul in a vision recognized that Paul was on the brink of burnout you, I, I don't you know Paul not only was Paul a human too he was tired he was weary he's about ready to give up <laughs> it seems and and Christ comes to him and encourages him don't be afraid he was fearful he was tired I don't care who you are it is tiring to be verbally assaulted all the time it is exhausting to live in constant stress of where am I gonna get my food where am I gonna go next what's gonna happen who's gonna hate me next that's exhausting and it never ends and then you just it just keeps coming and coming at you and Paul was tired he's like I'm quitting in fact it seems he was considering not speaking anymore I'm done I can't keep doing this you know what maybe I'll just pack up my bags and go back to Tarsus I know that place I got a job back there I'll relocate and all my problems will go sailing away he was paralyzed with fear not sure if he could continue in ministry he was spent I don't know how many of you can relate to that in your own experience of life points when you feel like I just can't go on I am done I have nothing left not even hope I'm finished you know the last vision that Paul had was of a man in Macedonia saying come over and help us remember that hey Paul come on over help us and now it seems Paul's receiving a vision from the Lord because his heart was weary and Paul probably without even know it was saying come here and help me I mean this is the vision not where he says come and come and help us over here but Christ is basically saying I'm coming to help you that's the vision he gets not come and give more and more and more but I will be here I am going to come to you and not just in some sort of esoteric kind of spiritual supernatural oh, I'm with you way but in physical people who are coming alongside of you and in fruit in people who are going to respond I have a lot of people here you know some people would take that to mean that people who are going to come along and support him or others suggest that it means that people will respond there will be people who come alongside and who no longer are hating on you but now coming alongside and your partners in ministry Jesus shepherding 
Paul's heart tells him in a vision, don't be afraid, keep on speaking. It's what I've called you to do. Even when fear makes you feel paralyzed, theology of place, God has you where you are for a reason. And you might have no more strength to carry on. And you've got to live in a text like this that says, I know that he's still here. It's not just because he has to be touched because in this final verse, he says strength to carry on comes also through just reminder promises, as I call them. This is a new, new phraseology I invented. I don't think anyone's ever called anything a reminder promise, but here they are. What I, what I mean by that is old promises. For I am with you, he says. This is the end of the vision. For I am with you. So we got a vision like God didn't come to me in a vision and say that he's going to be doing this stuff for me. But these are old promises he's been telling his people forever. I am with you and no one's going to attack and harm you because I have many people in the city. So Paul stayed in Corinth for a year and a half teaching them the word of God. In this vision, God says, I haven't left you. You are not alone. He's telling Paul just what Paul has been telling others. Keep your eyes on me. Keep your eyes on the risen Savior. That's what we, Paul's been saying, you know. And you need it too. It's, it, you know, you've probably heard this before, I'm sure, but in the airplane and the, you know, the, they always tell you that in the airplane when all the cabin pressure's gone and you feel like, you're, you know, you guys are going down, your certain death is coming or something like that. I don't know. Obviously, that doesn't happen very often, but you put the mask on yourself first, then your children. And that, I mean, this is what counselors tell you as well. You've got to make sure you're healthy in order to take care of others as well. And Paul, it seems like, is just spent, and he needs someone paying attention to him, and it's Christ himself who comes in these people, certainly, but his presence as well. I am with you. He's giving Paul a renewed sense of old promises. What does God tell Joshua? Do not fear. I am with you. Wow. Do not be afraid. I am with you. It's exactly what he told Paul. What does David say of God as a shepherd? Even if you walk through the valley of the shadow of death, the place of greatest fear, I am with you. What does Jesus tell his disciples as he gives them the seemingly impossible task of making disciples of all nations? Surely, I am with you. Don't be afraid. To the end of the age, these are old promises for God's children. And they always have contemporary application. I think I've shared with you before, um, Jim and Betty Good, who were married for 70 years, before Jim passed away about a year ago, maybe now, who I used to go visit. And Jim had had a stroke, and he wasn't thinking 100% clearly, but Betty, his wife, was by his side every time I went. I mean, Jim didn't exactly know what was going on, but Betty was there, holding his hand and offering him sweet words of reassurance. And that, to me, sometimes is a picture. Jim was completely incapacitated, could not take care of himself, had no idea what was going on, and Betty was always there. That feels like what God is like when it says, I am with you. I feel like the incapacitated one sometimes. I can't articulate, I can't... And he's always there. That's the image sometimes that comes to mind. Tender, loyal, ever-present. So strength to carry on. Just a couple of brief things. Takeaways, maybe something that from one thing you can latch on to one of these for you.
I would encourage you, if you're, when you get to that point where I just need strength, I can't carry on anymore, to embrace fellow sojourners. Just look for the people God's put in your life right now. I mean, you can, you can mourn the, the loss of relationships, maybe. I remember when I had this person. But God's giving you something right now in this context. It may be different, and it could change over time. I mean, this happens, right? Old relationships pass on, but God's got new ones for you as well. He's, he's putting people in your life for a reason. You might also look for unexpected encouragement, and this takes some thinking to do, but in the midst of wanting all of your expectations to come about, that's part of the reason we get discouraged. Life's not going according to plan. You might be missing the very things God's doing all around you in the midst of it that's giving you strength to carry on the unexpected blessings and encouragement. Maybe you need to ask for renewed vision because you're just weary. Why not ask God to shepherd your heart and renew your zeal? Uh, you know, just say that. God, I'm, I'm tired and I've lost sight of everything. Would you give me new sight for uh, the journey ahead? And of course, rest in the old promises like, I am with you and I rejoice over you with singing. <clears throat> I have a purpose for you. I've got a plan. Hey, seek first my kingdom. And all these other things you're worried about, they're going to be supplied for you. Those are, that's a promise. I will be with you. I will supply everything that you need. I haven't abandoned you. And it seems like Paul came limping. If you read through First and Second Corinthians, that church was a mess. And they, they, you can see that they embraced all the culture around them and they took it into the church. And he was going to have to just kind of shepherd them through that process and say, look, these two things don't belong with each other. But they kept stumbling and falling and that's kind of what it's like. With, with people who have embraced a completely different lifestyle and say, yes, I'm on board, but it's a struggle. It's a grind. And sometimes you need strength to carry on. And Paul came kind of limping in. And how long did he stay with them at the end of this passage we see? For a year and a half, he labors with them. Even though they're kind of frustrating people to work with. <laughs> if, you, if you read Corinthians, they, they just... No, you just want to shake them sometimes. Say, don't you get it? Haven't you grown up yet? I can't even give you anything besides the kind of milk and baby food that Alden's child wants right now. <laughs> but you've graduated from that, right? You want some meat. And he says, I know. And that's the beauty of it too. Christ, I mean, it's not as if Christ doesn't understand where we are. This, when he says, I'm with you, I'm with you where you are. And I, I don't think that's just physically in a sense, but where you are spiritually as well. I'm with you. I'm not going to abandon you just because you're a very thick-headed, slow learner <laughs> or applaud you because you're so much better than that other person. Because you both need God's grace. And you're both going to come to the point where you're stripped of all your self-reliance and it's the same spirit. This it talks about that in 1 Corinthians as well. Different gifts, same spirit. That's the spirit who's at work in our midst as well and that Christ is calling us to trust in once again. I don't know about you. I often find myself in the position of needing strength to carry on. <laughs> and more and more. And if you're not right now, hold on. You, you, you'll get there at some point. And maybe when you are, perhaps 
you'll have this brief memory, you know, this distant memory of, oh, Acts 18, maybe I should just read that and gain encouragement from it today. Father, I pray for our hearts where we need strength to carry on and we simply have nothing left. This isn't the only time Paul got there. If you read his letters, he seemed to kind of live in that space. When I'm weak, then you're strong. I have nothing left to give. And even my vision seems dim. I feel like cashing in my chips. I'm done. It seems like that's the place where you come and meet us. And you can give us, not just a reminder of old promises, other people who can come alongside us and say, I get it. I have been there. Hang on. Don't grow weary. Sometimes encouragement, blessings in areas we weren't expecting it, help us to be aware of that. And at times just a desperate need for renewed vision. Give me a glimpse, Father, because I can't see. Give us strength, Father, for whatever may come, because there's so much uncertainty. We know what's happened in the past, the future is uncertain, but we know who holds it for sure. And that's what, remi what the reminders that we have again and again during this Advent season as well. It reminds us not only that you came and entered into our world, but that you're coming again. And at that point, you will resolve all these, these endings that feel so open-ended. These narratives, these storylines that just haven't been tied up yet. These expectations we long for that haven't come about. You will completely resolve. You'll turn the dot, dot, dot on a text into an exclamation point and say it's all finished. And if we don't know that reality, Father, perhaps you're calling us to new faith to a point where we say, you know, that is something that I need because the strength that I'm drawing from is my own. The things that I'm chasing will never satisfy. We were designed really to be in relationship with the God who created us, who knit us together in our mother's womb. That is where we find the strength to carry on. We pray that you would give us a renewed sense of that today. We pray in Christ's name. Amen.